Welcome to the Afterlife Files, where we investigate near-death experiences, shared death experiences, and all things afterlife and how they affect you. Unlike podcasts that are just stories, we'll give you a heads up on what to look for in our conversation, and then after the interview, stick around, we'll help you make sense of those accounts so you can incorporate the insights into your life. I think you'll find that once having your most profound questions answered, living life in the physical is filled with more peace and joy. Please visit us at neardeathmeditations.com for all of our resources. known Kevin for some time. He was an adept student in my near-death experience intensive retreat. And when we get a chance to talk, we typically have conversations about the nature and force of consciousness, not your everyday coffee chat among friends. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Kevin describes himself as currently living in the Los Angeles area, where he is an artist with degrees, writer, entrepreneur, and lifelong experiencer of the grace and love of spirit. Isn't that wonderful? So, when I found out that Kevin's long gestating book was being published, I rushed to get him on this show. I know you'll be impressed and enlightened with what he shares during our interview. When our interview ends, Kevin summarizes by saying, and I quote, All of the moment is now. There is no future. There is no past. There is just now. Yes, you have the potential and the capability of experiencing who you are. You have the potential to be a creator. Start to focus your life on your relationship with spirit and all things will change. Isn't that lovely? I think it's important to have this frame of reference going into the interview. What to listen for? How he builds his case to this conclusion. Here's our interview with Kevin Jeffers. Hey, Kevin. Nice to have you with us here on the Afterlife Files. Scott, thanks for bringing me on. I have to say... I was really intrigued when I got your copy of, of the book, The Pattern, um, because it's filled with all kinds of really interesting stories. Um, and first off, I didn't realize that furniture, like Lazy Boys, was such an important part of you know, our spiritual development. So let's start our interview with that. You know, like what happened in the Lazy Boy and why? <laughs> and why do you call it the pattern? Well, two things. The Lazy Boy is my favorite meditation chair. It's beautifully made for a reclining person. So I sit in that chair and I'm, I'm in a good frame of mind to release. And the pattern is an experience I had when I was much younger, a very vibrant, intense experience that has never really left me since that happened. And how did you experience this pattern? I lifted my my consciousness out of my body 
So I wanted to be clear on that point because that's the process. I don't call it out of body because I don't look around and see a, a glowing image of myself. It's just the mind going out. And okay. the mind was, was going out and doing the usual exploration to see what's what, which I like to do. And I somehow shifted into a space of awareness of the everything. Not a specific thing, but the everything. And what I saw was, to me, was incredibly stunning, almost speechless, was a grid pattern that goes through the earth and in the grid are sparkles of light. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't understand what I was looking at, so I just zoomed in a little closer. And the sparkles of light, as I saw it, were souls. Each of us, and I saw myself, had a location in the grid. And the grid is a structure that was devised by the creator to help us move through early phase consciousness into the point where we can release our consciousness out of our physical body and move on to the next thing to do. So is the pattern and the grid the same thing? Yeah. The grid was the grid, and then I tried to think of a name that made sense to me. When I saw the integration of the creator's consciousness within the framework of the grid and the individual souls located in the grid, then I decided, well, that looks like a pattern to me. Got it. So what's the significance of this grid um, and how do we become aware of it? Uh, The first part is the significance in my own particular case, I don't speak for other people, was that that experience of of the light, of the grid and the light and the presence of creator permanently um, became a part of my consciousness. And when I linked to that, I noticed that I was seeing more things, interesting things, um, more informed about what I was looking at. So from my my experience, the pattern um, is embedded in me. And I don't know what the location is. It's all of me. And it's all of you in terms of um, here we are in, in the three-dimensional world and we're moving through it to something um, more interesting? Well, to me, the embedding of the experience of the pattern was in my energetic field. Okay, got it. There was really no connection to the body. The body was just the tool that I use in my life. When I step out, it's as an energy body. And it was at that point where I was imprinted with the pattern. And once you discovered this pattern, uh, what impact did it have on you? What were what was your aha? It wasn't a one aha. It was a it was a long continuous aha. It was my consciousness beyond the body started to expand 
and experience more things. Not only my my person, my personality, and my city and the planet, but moving out into encompassing all that is. It was a very, I guess I could say, enlightening experience for me. And it showed that we are um, connected via this grid to all the other souls that are out there. Everyone is connected. Everyone is intertwined and bonded bonded to each other. And the pattern is just simply the design put in place by the creator. And this is what I experienced Mm -hmm. of us, you, me, everybody is in a process of evolving our consciousness from primary consciousness to an expanded, almost spiritual consciousness. And so this pattern really exists all the time. So it doesn't make any difference whether we're alive or dead or in. It's there all the time. It doesn't go away. It's a part of who we are. And it constantly informs us about the pattern constantly informs us about the state of our own consciousness, our soul's consciousness. There we go. And as most people um, working through their body don't have generally have the experience of self-consciousness in spirit readily available. So this really doesn't make a difference whether we're alive or dead in this particular incarnation. Well, you're an evolving entity and it doesn't matter whether you're alive or dead. You're evolving. You live this life, you die, you go into spirit and then probably you come back and do it all over again. Um, Just to be clear, it sounds like you discovered this when you were a young man and you've been able to go back to this pattern time and time again as you have, as you explore it further. You know, it's interesting. It's not like going back. It's like, it's always there. And when I choose to be conscious of it, it's there. But because it's it's been such an overpowering, overwhelming experience to me as a person that I don't want to go there all the time. Mm -hmm. It's disruptive to my... That's interesting. Disruptive in what way? To my normal daily consciousness here on the planet Earth. It Uh, captures my attention. I definitely don't want to go into the pattern when I'm driving my car. Uh, somewhat distracting, is it? Totally, because you become a. I, I become immersed in the pattern one more time, to the exclusion of all else, and it's really not conducive to personal safety. Whereas you're doing something and then suddenly just stop doing it. So you did this during a state of meditation. Is that right? Yes. And. So how long have you been meditating? What's the style that you use? Tell us a little more about that. Okay. So the meditation part started when I was 17 or 18. And I really enjoyed it. So I continued to meditate. I didn't know what meditation was. But in that state, in the meditative state, a lot of interesting things happen. For me, the first things of interest that happened were... During a hypnosis, my first hypnosis section, 
there was a guy who was a trainee hypnotist and he knew what I was doing and he, he wanted to find out about it. Mm-hmm. So he pulled me through his regression, popped right out of my body, went into a past life. And that was the beginning of probably me in the, in the spiritual world. Before I was aware and I knew and I talked with people about it, but it wasn't, it really didn't impact me until I went out of the body when I went into a past life. Because for me, it was that first experience was lifting through the roof of my house, going out into some place and then shifting. This is very important. Shifting consciousness into an awareness of a past life. And I got the ball rolling. So when you talk about um, an out-of-body experience, are we talking about like the classical Bob Monroe out-of-body experience? Or yep. are we talking yeah. about the shifting of consciousness or both? Or We're talking about both. First, I went out of the body, which I didn't know what was going on. Okay. Yeah, and that would be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> totally weird. But it was cool. Because I'm above the house and I see the house and I see the yard and the car. It's just great stuff. For someone who's never done this before, it's really cool stuff. Then for some reason, probably under the direction of the hypnotist, I started regressing into past lives. And then I had my first impactful experience of a past life. So were you? did you start out? Speaking of Bob Monroe, did you start out using binaural beats? Do you use them now? No, that's a recent development. I've been doing this for more than 60, you know, 50 some years, 50, 55 years. And I never had until recently the experience of the hemisync. So what's the method that you use to get into these deep states of consciousness that allows you to um, recognize that the pattern is there? Well, initially it was just meditation. It was being open and aware, releasing of the body and being available to the experience of the pattern. Then probably the deeper levels of meditation occurred as I got older, more experience, and I had a continuous um, experience of healing and spirit and and life regression. And all of those things, I think, uh, came together to push me into a deeper state of med- meditation. You said a little bit ago that um, this knowledge of the pattern um, has helped really inform your life. Um, talk more about that kind of what that impact is. And, you know, obviously it caused you to write this book. So, you know, what's the thing we should take from, from that? Well, the experience of the pattern, which I think is a gift that I that I engaged in, opened my awareness of spirit, spiritual consciousness. And then inevitably, you get to the point where, where have you been and where you're going? And then you get to another point, it's, hey, what the heck is this stuff? Where does it come from? How does it happen? And then beyond that point, you learn that you are eternal. You're a forever being. And you're 
in the grips of spirit in, in encouraging you and pushing you to develop your consciousness. I don't see the end game as having a perfect body or perfect mind. I see the end game as releasing from the earth cycle and moving on with who you are. Okay. So how did you come to this knowledge? What, what were the hard lessons that you learned? Uh, well, I, I think I've had a lot of hard lessons. <laughs> traveling, being in the body, traveling, it's all hard lesson. That's just a part of life. Um, I think that the uh, uh, completing process of experiencing the pattern is in the things that I did. It's like building a building. You got a cornerstone and then you build and you've got a window and a door and a roof. It's all about building who you are, building your consciousness. So you start out with one brick and then hopefully you end up with a whole house. So I seem to remember you talking about um, the role of belief systems and how they need to you know, go away. And is that, am I right on that? Totally. Think about it. When you started, when you started in this life, you did what your parents told you to do. Then you discovered gravity. Gravity told you what to do. Then you discovered the forces of, of nature. And that told you what to do. So you started creating a, a belief system that when certain things happen, they mean something. And then as we get older, get a little more sophisticated, we start thinking about religion, philosophy, theology. And again, we, we encapsulate our reality by formalizing our view of the world and the universe. Those are beliefs. So... What I learned in my experience is that we need to release our beliefs and stay with the pure experience of spirit. And that's a big one. That's a real big one. Uh, talk about an experience that got you to that place. Well, yeah, that's a little hard to answer. It's, it's a cumulative thing. It's, it's not like one day arriving, when you're driving your car, you go to someone, a friend's house, and you're there. Mm -hmm. It's more like you're driving because you have a car. Why do you have a car? The car does what? And what are you doing? And what are you doing? It, it is a coalescing of all things. So it's not like you, are, you, you knock on a door and you arrive there one day. You are who you are cumulative, cumulatively. You are who you are cumulatively. Give us a an example of a lesson that you had that was uh, particularly meaningful? Well, that, yeah, okay. My first meaningful experience in spirit and working with spirit was that if, a long time ago, in 1977, I got a phone call from my mother and my mother said to me, your brother's been in a hockey accident. He was in his last game of his career as a college hockey player, an All-American, very, very good. And that was a shocking thing to know. He'd been in an accident. It was possible he broke his back. No one is quite sure yet. This was still early stage before 
x-rays and examination um, started that day. And I drove to St. Louis, University of St. Louis, and went to the hospital where he was located. And I walked in the door and I was shocked. This is, a, this is someone I love. This is a family member. He was laying in a striker frame. A striker frame, a striker frame. A striker frame is like an iron frame that people with back injuries are put into. I don't know what they do these days. But in those days, they would strap you into a frame and turn, turn you upside down. So you're looking down. So there's no pressure on the back. And oh, you're okay. immobile. You're immobile. Very important. So I, on the drive to St. Louis, I went into an altered state of awareness. And I was too young to really understand what was happening. It seemed like I was being possessed of a spirit who was preparing me for something. And it took over the ride. It's a six-hour ride from Chicago down to St. Louis. And I spent four hours of it in the back seat, zoned out, not asleep, aware. But things were moving inside of me. They were moving inside my head and my body. And I had never experienced this before. So when we got out of the car and went into the room and there wasn't a striker frame, I knew that I had a thing to do. And since I had been doing healing for many years, I said, let's start there. And I asked the nurse to leave and my sister to leave. My mom wouldn't leave. So I walked up to the foot of the bed and I felt something come out of me into my brother. It was a force. It was real. It was tingling. I was, my hands were almost on fire. It felt like they were on fire. And this continued for a while. And then it, then it ended. I was empty. There was nothing left. Everything had gone out. I was exhausted. So I sat down, collected myself, and went back out in the hallway to sit with the family. Then about an hour later, the doctor was looking at x-rays of my brother's back. And he started swearing. So <laughs> that's an interesting reaction. Okay. Definitely swearing, wondering who the idiot in the x-ray department was that sent up the x-rays from before, because now the back was in its entirety fused back into the spine. So he was, he was very annoyed. He wanted to know who the knucklehead was that sent the old x-rays up because they don't match the x-rays at that moment. Oh, I get it. Okay, so it really did turn into a, a, a healing. His his spine was back to normal. Yes. And it's all documented with the hospital. They still can't figure it out. And finally, my mom said, what happened? He said, I don't know. It's just, it's special because these things don't happen. Yeah. So what did your brother um, experience when you were messing with his feet? Well, he was laying in a striker frame. And he was pretty zoned out. He was on a little bit of morphine and he was in pain. And he said, Kevin, I couldn't figure out. You were standing on each side of the bed, the head, oh. the foot, the side, the other side. And you had your arms stretched out and there was light coming from you. Really? So you had 
according to him, you were in multiple locations, four or five, whatever. Mm -hmm. And and each one of them giving energy to him. All right. And the room, to be clear, the room is fairly crowded with what I call spiritual assistants. Healers in a spirit form. They were generating the energy. They were generating the direction. And when I do healing, I don't zone in on something and try to figure out what's going on. I make myself available and turn who I am over to spirit. And spirit is the intelligence of the healing. So, you know, I I stand back and say, I didn't do anything. I was just present in that room because that's all that was needed. So you had put yourself into a meditative state. Um, It sounds like it was um, not exactly willful because it was going on while you were driving. Yes. And they were in control of driving as well as as you were experiencing. Am I right on that? Well, there was a little bit of downtime between getting out of the car and showing up in my brother's room. Okay. But then when I stood at the foot of his bed and prepared myself to be a healing channel, that's when the action started. This wasn't about you. This was about your ability to um, let go and let the light do its thing. Yeah, I never consider anything about me. I'm more than happy to be a channel and whatever happens, happens. Because I never see myself as being smart enough or direct enough or powerful enough to actually do something. And I've cried and I would be concerned I was doing the wrong thing. So I open myself up to spirit and spirit does its thing. Yeah. So I take it then that we can all do this since we're all connected to the grid like you are. We do it all the time. Talk about example, that. If you're a father and you have a child in distress and they're not feeling well, you sit by their bed, you hold their hand, stroke their forehead, put a cold cloth on, and you pray or not that you, the child will get better. There is a transfer of energy through one consciousness into another. We just don't see it that way. Oh, it's great. The fever broke. How'd that happen? Well, you were the cause of that happening. And that person or the child was reaching out to you as well. So it's what I call a joint effort. You have a sender and a receiver, and they both have to cooperate with each other or agree to this. Every person you heal is always in agreement that a healing can occur. Otherwise, nothing happens. Otherwise, nothing happens. Yeah. If they're not supposed to be healed, you can't make it happen. And it's not even supposed to be healed. They just, from, from as a spiritual being, as a soul, spiritual soul, they're agreeing or not agreeing, or they have conditions and limitations on the agreement. Where we are all amazing, indestructible powerhouses in spirit. We know what's going on. We know what to do. And we know how to handle ourselves. This thing that uh, this tingling sensation that left your hands, um, would you call it 
light or energy or vibration or, you know, what does it seem to be like for you? To me, it was a light energy, which I observed happening. So it had, it had a visual presence at the moment, but it was going out. And there was a bit of a vibration. My hands started to get very hot. So there were physical effects of that healing. So have you used this light in other ways too? I use it constantly. I, I view light as the manifestation of spirit, creating an intent, trying to accomplish something, spirit and a spiritual energy to accomplish it. You may not be fully aware of it. You may not be aware of it at all. But ultimately, that is what's happening. So you cannot move through your reality hoping that your body is sufficient to create an environment where you can survive. It just is not going to happen. There has to be agreement among all elements of your reality. So focusing on that light, um, how do you do that? And, and how does that work for you? I put myself in a meditative state. I gear down my brain. I open myself to God. And then things start to happen. It sounds like there's intent involved here. I have to intend for a healing to occur. And the receiver, recipient, needs to intend that they get healed. Otherwise, you're just two people with running on different tracks, different agendas. But you focus on this light in situations other than healing situations. I'm, I'm I use it all the time. I use it for business. All right. <laughs> Give us decision. a couple more examples because this is fascinating. <laughs> when, I go into a, when I go into a negotiation for a contract, I have to know where things are moving. And there may, know, there may not be a tell on the other side that they're going to do something or how they're going to do it or what is going to happen. You need to understand the shifting of energy in the balance of the relationship of the two and the probability of all things occurring. Just because you're having a great negotiation doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Maybe think about this. Success is not in your charts for that particular deal. Say a person is in a spot where they um, have a decision to make about their life. And should I go this way? Should I go that way? You know, how would, how would you use it in that situation? I'd give it a try. If it was desperate, life-threatening, I would give it a try. Otherwise, I have time to contemplate, meditate, and pray, and do all those things. Sometimes you're just on the spot. A family friend was out with us, and it, he just fell over, and he stopped breathing. Oops. That's not good. No. So I figure that's that's weird. <laughs> and then I went over and, and touched his head and his eyes snapped open and he started breathing again. Now, that sounds a, real, a little bit incredible. But I have the witnesses to the fact, which I need witness. I won't talk about anything that's not been verified, by the way. It's just like talking, spending air. And he didn't know what was happening on happening, but the 
the group there saw that happen. And I wasn't even in, I was not entering into an intention other than to help this guy. So there was no, uh, no bolt, light of bolt, you know, bolt of lightning. There was no voices. There was nothing. It was just something that I knew to do because I had done it before and I had no idea what the result would be. But you have to try. At least I have to try. Yeah. So speaking of intent, um, have you been able to discern what our creator's intent is for us, for the grid, for for whatever? That's the that's the big one. I know. That's why I'm asking. It's a real big one. The answer is no. I can see trending. I can see energy displacement. I can see things happening, but what the cause is and what's powering that and what the result is, they're not clear to me. I have my one little slice of vision. Meaning that this is, you can see for yourself, but not other people? No, I can see, I can see the example. I can see the pattern. I can see the disbursement of energy. I can see the relationships of people that I'm involved with or are interested in, in how the, the pattern's influence affects their lives and my life. Not everyone really cares. They live their life. They make the money. They take care of their family or whatever they do. They're just not present and experiencing the energy of spirit. One of the things I know, because we've talked before, um, is that you do retrieval work. And in your book, you talk about some of the things that happened in the Ukraine for you. So tell us a little about that. Well, I've been doing retrievals for a very, very long time. I don't even remember when I started. It's been so long. And then when the Ukrainian conflict started, remember it was a conflict when things started happening. And then you heard about the Russians starting to invade and take over towns. I knew there would be souls that needed to be retrieved. And I focus on children and aged adults. Maybe it's a little discriminatory, but I figure that if you're healthy and you've got all your parts, you can take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. The problem is children that are killed by the violence of war, when they die, they don't know what to do. There's no training. There's no mom and dad. There's no anybody. They're, but more importantly, they're confused. They're confused. I could be sure. That one they minute they're alive and the next minute, no. And where do you go? How, you know, to us with our training and a full span of life or even close to a span of life, when we die, the thought generally is, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to the other place. Mm-hmm. But just as a note, there is no other place. Yeah, so, got that. <laughs> so the children need to be pulled through into the light of who you are heading towards what I call the city of lights. I'm reluctant to call it heaven because I've never seen it as heaven. I've just seen it as Bob Monroe said, the city of lights and that ring a bell. And then when I went there, it was real. But I knew that was the place of recuperation. 
I knew that was the place of healing. So you want so, to take these these children there because yeah. this is where they could get repaired from that trauma that they just witnessed. That's my commitment to life. So in the Ukraine, a lot of that was happening and older people were being blown up or buildings were collapsing on them or they died of fire or smoke inhalation. All traumatic experiences don't necessarily mean transition to heaven, transition to the city of lights. It means generally they're confused. They need guidance. They need direction. They need assurance. So in one particular case, I went to a building that had just pretty much just been blown up. It was rubble on rubble on rubble. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, probably there are some either people or bodies down in the rubble. And I felt a pull by a woman who was in the rubble, but she had been kind of blown up. Mm-hmm. There were many pieces and parts of her and each and it, it was like seeing a ghost and i hate to use that word it's like a a light shadow moving around confused and lost so i thought this isn't good but what can i do i've never put someone back together again that's new stuff for me so then i had this bright idea well why not go back to where i was and start a process of rolling back time a few days. That made sense to me. I mean, what else? There was nothing else I could do. You got to try something. So I rolled it back and I went back there again. She was living in the apartment, boiling tea or something, some kind of activity. Okay. Having a good old day, very happy. And so what I did is that I placed what I call energy tags, surrounded her with energy tags in anticipation in two days that these would be needed for retrieval. Mm -hmm. So then I went back again, all the way back to the the great chair, the meditation chair, and I rolled rolled myself forward to present time. And then I went back again. This was a very long night, by the way. It was about three hours. Yeah, I could see it. You get to go there, come back, go there, come back. Yeah. And you're you're just you don't know what direction to take because you have no training on where to go. So when I went back to that pile of rubble when just when she had died, then I saw pieces of energy moving around in the stone. As I've never seen that before. But each one of them were tagged. I figured that's that's her. So somehow I reached out and pulled all of her out because I knew the location identity of her energy. And it's been merged with your energy tag. So yeah, it's, it's like it's in suspended animation. Mm-hmm. You pull it out and it's there. And then it doesn't know where to go because it doesn't know what it is. There's the soul, the lady's soul, you know, asking for help, but all the little parts didn't know what to do. So the parts came together when they were pulled out of the rubble, and then the rest of it was easy. Move with her in light to the city of lights, 
and let the uh, experts take over, the master healers. Nice to have a backup team, huh? Yeah. I feel like I'm a taxi. I get called, the meter starts, go to destination, drop them off, and then go back again. Or in this case, I was so tired, I went back to my meditation chair and kind of faded out there. It's very, very draining work. But I've used now that I use that technique a lot. And then it's been of great assistance to me because everyone is tagged with energy. Everyone. So this, uh, when you talk about the technique, you're talking about the tagging or just the the whole. uh, I'm talking about the tagging going backward, going forward. That was more like creative invention. Something had to be done. I didn't get it. I probably knew exactly where everything was because in spirit, you know, everything you see, everything you experience, everything. But from the human side, it was just bits and pieces. Got it. Well, you know, that's part of our belief systems that we have to let go of, right? That, you know, the idea that we can move forward and backwards and that we can help um, energy coalesce and and that we know what to do with it when we get it and take it to the master. I I can only speak of myself to myself i agree and the problem with the beliefs that i've (coughs) dealt with all my life is that the beliefs restrict the action but now that i've experienced the pattern and i'm getting a bit older and a little more my energy is a little more thinned out i'm seeing more what was your intent for the book uh, clearly, you wrote it for some reason. Talk about that. That's a good one. I started the book about 30 years ago. Oh, so this is a quick process. Yeah, it just will flash a light. <laughs> so I wrote the whole book, and then I put it on a shelf for 30 years because I didn't know what to do with it. And I thought probably it was full of junk, beliefs, systems of belief, Um guesses, estimates. So I put it off on the side. Then a couple of years ago, I felt the impulse to bring it off the shelf and clean it up, go through it, and make a book out of it. So when people read this book, what do you want them to take away? That they have the potential to be who they want. Oh, that's lovely. And and you explain it in this book? Yes, more towards the end of the book, because the first part is action-packed with different stuff. But towards the end, it's, it's, yes, you can do this. Yes, you can build a life where you can experience spirit. You can experience who you are. There are no limitations or restrictions other than the ones you place on yourself. Uh, Probably more the result of beliefs. Boy, that one thing right there is incredibly valuable. Thank you, Kevin. And how can people get this book? And how do they learn more about you? Well, I don't have any mechanism to learn more about me. I think you just have to settle for the book. But the book book is available on Amazon and Kindle as a paper book and as a Kindle book. It's a fairly new posting. 
I just completed this whole thing a couple of weeks ago and now it's on Amazon. So people can go if they like Kindle, which I personally prefer because you don't have a bunch of books laying around your room. You can pull it out of Kindle or just get a paperback. So are we here at the Afterlife Files, the first to interview after the book has been published? Yes. <laughs> you know, when, well, when you mentioned it, well, good for you. When you mentioned it, I knew that I would be dealing with someone I could trust. And, you know, the, the, the environments, particularly in our relationship over the years, has been very smooth, beneficial. So when you said, well, why don't you do this? You know, I'm, I'm all in because I'm all in for you. I thank you for that. And the reverse is true. Thank you. Yeah, this is uh, quite an accomplishment to try to describe things that are, in essence, ineffable. And well, my, my next book that I hope doesn't take 30 years to write, because I don't think I have 30 years. Is about, isn't that a belief system? I, I wouldn't want that. No, thank you. I don't want to be I don't want to be one of those old folks in a wheelchair. I want to enjoy my life and then go out. So the, I have another book planned, and it's all about soul retrieval. The fascinating 10, 15, stories there. 10, 15 years of uh, real live retrievals of people that could not exit out from the earth atmosphere they're pulled into it because of their beliefs and their emotions and their angers so many people need to be helped out particularly children children really tug at my heart because they don't know what to do they don't know what to do so is there one last thing that you would like to leave our audience with that we haven't covered that you're dying to talk about. No. <laughs> okay. We'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> now to answer the question, all in the moment, Scott, all in the moments of now, there is no future. There is no past. It's just now. So there's no one thing other than yes, you have the potential and the capability of experiencing who you are. You have the potential to be a creator. So the, my takeaway would be start to focus your life on your relationship with spirit and things will change. Now, from a business point of view, I've only become more successful with my understanding of energy flow. So that was a real benefit in a practical world. Mm -hmm. But I think the other benefit in spirit is a much, much greater value to each of us. And that seems like the perfect note to end on. And everybody, just as a reminder, here, here we are, try to get the fingers out of the way. The Pattern by Kevin Jeffers. This is a fascinating read. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you. There are so many insights that come up during this interview. Just to be clear, these are from my viewpoints, but that's why you watch The Afterlife Files, to gain perspective by using 
more than one lens with which to view this rich information. Right off the bat, he confirms for us that we are essentially beings of light, intertwined and connected to each other through what he experiences as the grid. And that this grid is an integral part of who we are as forever beings, both individually and collectively. By connecting and using the grid, we can assess the state of our own consciousness. He affirmed that we cannot be separated from this pattern. However, we can choose to engage or not engage with the grid as we desire. Okay, number two. I found it helpful to listen to his discussion about how to use light energy for healing. I particularly liked his emphasis on both the sender and the receiver agreeing to be healed. Also, I've trained hundreds of people on how to do soul retrieval. If that work interests you, I would encourage you to check out this skill. It can be really rewarding. And... I also liked his comment on how amazing, indestructible, and powerful we are as spirit. I found too often that folk think of themselves as too small. They accept what others say is their role and thus limit their curiosity and capabilities. It's one of the most important beliefs that we have to throw away. And lastly... I found his basic methodology simple and effective for meditation, whether or not you use binaural beats, and that is put yourself in a meditative state. Now you can use a lazy boy recliner or not. <laughs> then gear down your brain, open yourself to God, and that's when things start to happen. I do hope that videos such as this can give you some insight on what near-death and shared-death experiencers discover about the afterlife, the nature of consciousness, and how to live your life more fully. If you've not already hit that subscribe button, I would encourage you to do so now. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and comment. You can find the Afterlife Files on all podcast streaming apps, Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, the lot. And please pay us a visit at neardeathmeditations.com. Bye now. We'll see you next time. And thank you for joining us at the Afterlife Files.